Welcome to the Sleep Roundtable podcast. Each week leading up to the 10th annual Sleep Roundtable, I'll be chatting with one of this year's renowned industry expert speakers. If you haven't already, be sure to get registered for the Roundtable. It's the leading dental sleep conference for sleep dentists and their teams. And it's in Dallas on October 7th through 10th. Go to sleeproundtable.com to get registered. Now sit back and get ready to learn a thing or two in preparation for this year's highly anticipated Sleep Roundtable. Enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So where are you right now? I'm in South Padre. Seriously? Yeah. You didn't know I was on vacation? Well, no, you did say you were doing that, but then I thought maybe I misunderstood the week. I didn't think you would be doing this when you're on vacation, but man, I appreciate that. Well, I was supposed to do it last week. I was supposed to do it last week, so I was like, okay, well, I can log on. That's true. I check in while I'm gone. Today we have Laura Couture with us. She's an expert in medical billing for dental sleep medicine. Uh, She started her career as actually a crime analyst. We'll have to ask her about that. Um, But then she eventually made the transition to being a sleep coordinator and uh, transitioned at that point. She said, you know what? This billing thing really excites me. I I dig this. I I understand this stuff. So I think this is what I want to do. And so, Laura, thank you for being here today. I think we're going to have a good time talking about medical billing. I know it's, it's boring for a lot of people, but for those who have an interest in it and need it, it's not so boring. They need to know this information. Well, if they want to get paid, then it's not so boring. Exactly. Yeah. So you've been in medical billing for how many years now? Um, I've been in medical billing for probably about four years. Even when I was working as a sleep coordinator, I kind of dabbled in it just to help out within the office. So ever since I've been in sleep, I've kind of dabbled in billing also. So I know everything clinical um, from the front to the back and kind of what needs to happen on both sides clinically and in the back office in order to get paid. So Laura's going to be at our sleep round table in October. She's going to be on a panel of insurance experts. Um, but today what we're doing is just going over some of the, the basics and maybe give you a little flavor of, of what you might learn at the round table. You know, maybe tell us some of the considerations or challenges in transitioning to medical insurance from dental, because that's been the biggest struggle. And I know those that are listening to this, some are already doing medical and they don't need to know this, but there are some that are new into sleep and they they need to know maybe what are the the challenges for transitioning from dental to medical. Yeah, absolutely. So whenever dentists come from the dental side over to the medical side, they have to make a change in their mindset going from dental to medical. So dental providers are usually used to knowing what insurance is going to pay. They know to send in a pre-estimate. They know exactly what that's going to look like for them. Whereas on the medical side, it's a little more gray. So we don't have dollar amounts. Most dental providers are out of network with medical insurance. They don't have contracted fees. So just kind of following that guideline and learning to go with the flow of insurance and not be so stuck on a number is really, really difficult for dental providers because that's what they're used to. They're used to having those solid numbers on what they're going to get paid and what the patient pays. Medical is a little bit different. It's just a little more gray in that area. We can absolutely figure that out for them, but 
it's just not having those solid numbers that I think is really difficult for dental providers going forward. Yeah. And aren't there, the coding is different too. There are, there are, is a diagnostic code as well as a procedural code. And that's not what dentists are used to. Yeah. So we switch over from the dental codes to medical CPT codes. Um, we do have to have a diagnosis code to go with each code that we're billing. So generally we're using just one code, which is obstructive sleep apnea, G is in golf 47.33. That's our golden code that we bill for pretty much anything that we do in sleep medicine, um, even for dentists. So the medical providers are billing it. Also the dental providers are billing it. So there is a change in coding there. Um, and kind of learning what it looks like to put it on to a medical form or a medical claim form instead of a dental claim form as well. We take a little bit more documentation on our end, I think. Um, they want a whole lot of information that really, I'm, I'm not sure that it matters too much to them, but they just want to make sure that the criteria is being met in order to pay providers. All right. So how often do you have to do an appeal for one of those claims? Because I know that they're known for not wanting to pay and they'll find any reason they can. But I know that appeals are necessary from time to time because they find just something they just don't want to pay. In dental insurance, they, they've had the same thing. They've gone through this where in, in dental insurance, they say, you never, we never got the x-rays or whatever. But I, I've heard it happens a lot more in medical. Yeah, it does. And I think that the confusion comes in is that normally when you send off a claim to medical insurance, they're going to come back right away and they're going to ask you for clinical documentation. That really freaks dental providers out because they think that they're getting a denial permanently whenever medical comes back and asks for the additional documentation. That's not really what they're saying. So those aren't necessarily appeals. They're just asking for additional information. Now, actual denials that are permanent are pretty rare in the medical world. So it may take us six months to get some of those difficult co cases paid, but we definitely have some avenues in order to get them paid. So don't be scared once you get a denial right off the board and it says we need medical documentation. Don't be scared about that. They just need to see why you're treating the patient and you don't have to worry too much about an appeal in that case. I would say out of the cases that we bill, maybe two to three percent actually have to go through a full appeals process. It's pretty rare. Well, great. OK, so they're just they just want more information or they say they didn't get something. Uh, all the time, all the time insurance says they didn't get something. So it's a huge struggle. You just have to keep following up and following up and saying, no, I sent this, I sent this. Um, you kind of have to babysit them in order to get them to pay you. You know, different insurance companies have different rules and, and they're changing a lot. How do you deal with all the nuances of the different insurance companies, including Medicare, that kind of shift and jive and you know, it to me, sometimes it seems like they're doing this stuff to keep from paying. But I may be exaggerating that. I don't know. Maybe they're just making good decisions for the bottom line and... I don't know. You know, we constantly have to check those policies. So um, we know what the Medicare policy is. And generally, these commercial insurances are going to start to follow what Medicare sets out as their policy. So we're starting to see a lot of medical insurances move towards that direction. So you'll see some Blue Cross Blue Shield plans that lean towards those Medicare um, guidelines. United Healthcare became very similar to those guidelines within the last year. So we constantly have to go in and check those medical policies to make sure that whenever we're sending a case into insurance for an authorization or approval or whatever, that our 
that our clients have done what they needed to do to meet the medical criteria. So it definitely is an ever-changing world. Every now and then you'll get something that you're like, what is this? Why did this happen? And there's just those strange plans that have a weird underwritten policy like Aetna that says you have to have your studies read at 4% versus 3% or United Healthcare that requires that face-to-face consult now. So generally, if you're looking at the Medicare guideline and you're following that pretty close, you're, you're probably going to be safe with the commercial insurances um, at this point. Now, not all of them are that strict right now, but they very well could go that way in the future. So maybe your suggestion would be to just follow Medicare guidelines with every single patient. Yeah. I mean, that's frustrating for sure. I mean, that's a pretty big clinical workup. It's different from some of the other commercial insurances. The downside to just going straight Medicare is that there's some guidelines that not every patient needs. They don't need to um, go through all these hoops whenever they've tried CPAP and then return the CPAP and then go back and have another study. There's a lot of accountability for the sleep physicians in this from medical insurance. On top of that, whenever you're talking about a Medicare-approved appliance, um, you're now restricting your patients down to those PDAC-approved appliances where you did have a bigger range of things um, that may work better for them clinically. So, yeah, I think that if you want to be safe, go ahead and follow Medicare guideline for most insurances, but that just doesn't work for every patient. Well, are there any any changes recently with any of the plans, like you mentioned United Healthcare? Is is that the most recent change that you've noticed in any of these? I believe so. Um, United Healthcare decided probably about a year and a half, two years ago, they were going to change their policies to very closely mimic Medicare's guidelines. So they now say that the patient has to have a face-to-face consult with an MD prior to their sleep study. We didn't previously have that. Now, there all there are certain states where dental providers cannot hand out a home sleep study from their office, Georgia, New Jersey. But other than those, we didn't have a whole lot of those restrictions. Now, UnitedHealthcare says you have to have that face-to-face with an MD. Now, the blessing that COVID brought us was that we turn to a lot of um, telemedicine. And so that opened the door for these guidelines as well, because these patients are able to go into their dental provider's office, still have a face-to-face via telemedicine, and still have that sleep study dispensed from the dental office and still meet clinical guidelines. So um, that's kind of the thing that threw us for a loop with United Healthcare. They did change some of their policies that read you can only have an appliance once every five years as opposed to once every three years. So those little changes happen slowly. So that's why you have to, you either have to have a really great biller who's looking at this for you, or you have to continue to review those policies steadily. Yeah, so speaking of that, there are some people, uh, dentists that that would prefer to bill on their own. And I understand that, you know, they wanna try to save some money and maybe they don't do that many appliances and they just wanna see if they can make it go. Maybe availability would be somewhere they could check benefits, for example, and, and maybe just going to the insurance company's policies like every month to read them. What, what else would they need to keep on top of? 
Yeah. So you can always go on to United Healthcare. Um, again, Medicare's policy, their uh, local coverage determination is made public. Humana doesn't have a policy written, so it defaults to the Medicare guideline. Blue Cross Blue Shield, you can look up your local guidelines. Just go in and a lot of times you can pull the medical policy and enter in the CPT code, the E0486 code for the appliance. Sometimes you can type in obstructive sleep apnea or sleep medicine, and it will start to pull those policies for you. And you can see what those guidelines are. As far as availability, availability is a great tool to use. It's going to tell you if Blue Cross Blue Shield plans use AIM, which is a third party, which very much so mimics the Medicare guidelines. That gives you a good basis to know which direction you're going and whenever you're looking at those. Now, the downside to availability is you're not going to see all of the insurance companies on it. You're not going to see United Healthcare. Cigna removed themselves from it as well, but you can see your Aetna, your Blue Cross Blue Shield on there. So it's a great tool to have. It's just not a blanket tool. It's not going to take care of everything. And some states have better access than others. So you might have, um, say, Texas that has pretty decent access on availability to a wide range of insurers, but you may look at somewhere like New Mexico or Colorado that they don't have all those payers on there. So it's a tool for sure, um, but not something to completely rely on. Why don't you give them the, like the three most important things to to make sure you do with like a pre-auth and or pre-cert and authorizations? So um, looking at an authorization, I think, first of all, you need to look at it from a clinical standpoint. Step back, look at it from a clinical standpoint. And did you answer the most valuable questions that they're going to be looking for? Generally, when, I, when I'm submitting a pre-authorization, there's three things that I ask for from my clients. It's a copy of the sleep study, a copy of the CPAP intolerance form, and a clinical note from the dentist documenting no perio, no TMD, no loose teeth, and comorbidities. Now, there's a little bit more guideline to that. But generally, with those three pieces of information, I can come back to my clients and say, yes, this is going to work, or no, this is not going to work. We need to start from the beginning. So it helps tremendously whenever your clinical team also kind of knows what the guidelines are. Obviously, that's a lot to ask them to do. And not everybody has that mindset where they want to learn everything. But having your teams cross-trained is probably the biggest asset to you that can happen. You're not going to have to go back and say, oh, we can't get an approval, redo this. Look at your clinical information and make sure that you're going to get an approval. And I think the third thing is just be patient. Just hang in there. They're looking at tons and tons of cases. And I know it's frustrating to wait on those timelines, but just let them look at the case um, within their time range and you will get an approval back. You don't have to call them every day. You're wasting your time. So just being patient on those authorizations is going to take a lot of the frustration out of it. You know, I, I don't like this topic because I'm just <laughs> scared of it. The one on same and similar. I know sure. that half the United States has to deal with it. The other half doesn't. So is there any, for those of us who are not under same and similar right now, have you heard of anything in the pipeline that says we may have to start following those guidelines soon? I have not. So there is a misconception about those guidelines. So the entire country is under those same lines 
same timelines. And what you're talking about whenever you say same and similar is that the patient cannot have a CPAP and an oral appliance within the last five years if they're on Medicare or if it's been billed to Medicare. So whenever that happens, um, we kind of have to reroute those patients to a different, a different model in order to get them covered. Currently, the jurisdictions that are enforcing same and similar are jurisdiction A, which is on the East Coast, and jurisdiction D, which is on the West Coast. Um, B and C, which is our central states aren't seeing that denial for same and similar. Now, the reason that may be happening is because we all have different contractors. So it's all Medicare, but A has a different contractor than B has, and B has a different contractor than C has. So they just haven't enforced those. The last time that I heard about them talking about enforcing them was probably a couple of years ago before COVID, when I had spoken to Cindy White, who works for Medicare for DME, and I asked her- Who will be at the round table again this year? Oh, yeah, great. she'll be there. She's a huge asset to these offices. And I had asked her if she thought that we were going to get hit with it. She said, yes, it was coming down the pipeline. I think COVID hit and that changed that. And two, if she thought that we would see an authorization at some point, and she said that they would probably start to authorize oxygen before Medicare started to authorize oral appliances. So we're not looking, I don't think currently at any of those coming, but to save yourself, go ahead and follow the guideline. Make sure that you're checking those codes whenever you call in or your billers calling in. Make sure that's something that they do for you so you don't end up with a denial that can't be overturned. Well, this has been a lot of packed information in a very short time, but Laura, I really appreciate you coming to us from South Padre today to be with us. Thanks for having me. We look forward to seeing you at the Sleep Roundtable in October. For those of you listening, if you haven't registered yet, it'll be the 10th annual Sleep Roundtable. You can go to sleeproundtable.com to find out all the information. It's October 7th through 10th. We were forced to take a little hiatus in 2020. You heard of COVID? Yeah. But we're back in full force. There should be hundreds of dentists and their teams there. 20, more than 20 uh, different speakers and panels, and you have all kinds of options. Bring your team out. We'd love to see you there. Thanks again, Laura. We will see you soon. Have a great day out there and don't get sunburned. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Sleep Roundtable podcast. Don't forget to head to sleeproundtable.com to register for the 10th annual Sleep Roundtable and to subscribe to our show. See you in Dallas in October.